You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash missionlog. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash missionlog. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash missionlog. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Supplemental number 75, the one about the strike. Featuring Bill Wokoff and Michelle Hurd. Welcome to a supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. And if you are a regular Mission Log listener, you know that we are taking a hiatus while the simultaneous WGA and SAG strikes affect production across the entertainment industry. Rest assured, we will be back when the strikes wrap up, and we thank you for your patience and your continued support during this time. In the meantime, we have some exciting plans for all of you. Today, we have a double-dose interview for you featuring none other than writer Bill Walkoff and actor Michelle Hurd. They will share their perspectives on the strike, what it means for them, and what it means for us, the audience of their work. Next week, we'll bring you another of our panels from the recent STLV convention, where we talked about the line between science and pseudoscience and how that impacts our goals for a brighter future. And then we will be unveiling an all-new show that helps fill in some of the early story about an up-and-coming writer in Los Angeles, Gene Roddenberry. These are the stories you've never heard about shows you've never seen, and we can't wait to share them with you. Stay tuned right here in the Mission Log podcast feed. But right now, stay tuned because Heather Barker and I sat down for a chat with Bill Walkoff, and right after that, you won't want to miss the conversation that Norman and I had with Michelle Hurd. All right, so we are joined by writer Bill Walkoff, and uh, just right away, let me say that Bill has written some of my favorite unnamed science fiction shows and episodes of those shows in the last few years. So thank you for joining us. And I look forward to a time that we can talk about those very specifically in great detail. <laughs> uh, thank you, John. Uh, thank you, Heather. I'm, I'm very happy to be here today. Well, thank you. Let's cut right to the chase. I mean, I, explain to us as people who are not part of the WGA, what does the strike mean to writers and why is it important right now? We are in the middle of one of the most important labor actions that our industry has seen in in decades. Um, you know, I know people know about the strike, mm -hmm. but I'll I'll just 
you know, I'll, I'll roughly start from the beginning yeah. we, in case you're not, you know, up to speed on all, all the details. So I'm a member of the WGA and I am a rank and file member and I'm also, uh, also a writer. And as a rank and file member, I also have, have, uh, volunteered and stepped up to be a, a captain in the WGA. And so that means right now I am a strike captain and also a lot coordinator, which means I run one of the pickets. And specifically, I run a picket at uh, CBS uh, Television City in the Beverly Fairfax area of, of Los Angeles. We have we have 10 pickets at different studios throughout the city right now. That, that is and, one of my favorite facilities, by the way. <laughs> a lot of history there. A ton of history yeah. there. You are very right. You are very right. And we are... On the picket lines because when our negotiating committee was meeting with the AMPTP, and that is an alliance of all of the studio, a trade alliance of all the studios and companies that make every, make every television show and movie that people watch and consume. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they all negotiate with the different unions in town under this this trade alliance. They're competitors in real life <laughs> and they're trying to kind of screw each other over and get one over on each other when they're not negotiating with with guilds. Uh, but in this instance, they all negotiate together under one alliance called the AMPTP. Mm-hmm. And we were, this is a very important contract because TV and movies have changed a lot in, in these last, in this last decade, especially because of streaming. And it has become harder and harder for TV writers and feature writers to make a living because the studios and companies have found loopholes in which they can exploit the streaming model to pay writers less. And there are many, many issues that have been on the table to, to put it just as simply as I can, it's just fast becoming a gig and not a full-time job. Right. And it's it's something that people have to sustain themselves with other jobs, which is absurd because it is a full-time job and a massive job to be a writer in television and, and movies. And it's not the case anymore. And, and I want to also put a fine point on this part. It's really, really hard to become a professional writer on a WGA signatory show and get into the guild. It takes people years and years and years of work just to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm even, I'm took me an especially long time. I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. It took me about 12 or 13 years before I was fully in the guild and making a living as a TV writer. Wow. And you know, sometimes it takes people faster than that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it takes people even longer than that. But now people are, becoming professional writers and then realizing holy i have to hold down a second job just to do my writing job or i can't quit my other job right and that's that's not right and writers are also working fewer weeks out of the year the average you know is about like 10 to 12 weeks out of the year sometimes maybe 20 weeks out of the year and that's not a way you can't sustain a living that way also the residual model is so and residuals are when your work is Mm -hmm. replayed when 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 you write a tv show write a movie and it gets replayed on another platform another channel uh, any other venue then the company is making some money from that and you get a little piece of that and those residuals sustain you but the residuals on the streaming formula are next to nothing so 
writers now are working uh, so few weeks during the year and they uh, don't have residuals to sustain them in, in, in that period. So we really need to change our contract uh, and update it with the times that we that we live in and with the present business model that all the co- studios and companies are operating under. They they uh, the, the, it was the studios and companies that brought us to this world of streaming uh, and they kind of broke the way that we make television and we, we make movies. Now they need to fix yeah. it. The one, the the one way piece of leverage that we have, and it's a very powerful piece of leverage, is that writers can withhold their work, which is what we chose to do. When we and we had twelve proposals that our leadership brought to the AMPTP back in March and April when they were negotiating, and nine of those proposals they just flat out rejected. Mm. They never even countered on them, or the counters were insane counters like one one of the proposals was uh, for screenwriters to save them all of the immense free work that they have to do is to guarantee them a two-step deal in their contracts and their counter was we'll let you hold we'll hold a meeting with executives to tell the executives why you know wh- why that's hard for you but that but yeah. other than that they refused to count on the pr- proposal nine of the proposals they refused they just flat out rejected or uh, treated in that way and that's not a negotiation and we had no choice we had we, we had to use the only piece of leverage that we could which was to withhold our work until the studios and companies came back to uh, bargain with us in in good faith and there are lots of other details to that that i could get into if you have questions like there uh, uh, uh there's the the issue of a minimum number of writers on a writer's room there's the issue of keeping writers on through production and television there's the issue of ai all of these were issues Issues that were in those proposals, specifically in those nine proposals that were flat out rejected. And all of those would ensure that writing would remain a career and would allow us to continue to have livings. And uh, uh, also another way to really look at it simply is we we want to be fairly compensated for our work when our work is is successful for the studios and the co- and the companies. And here here we are uh, we're in day 113 about a week and a half ago. I forget exactly what day it was. Um I think it was like day 103 or 104 the studios came back. And we are there. There are now active negotiations happening, and our leadership let us know that as of last Friday, uh, the studios and companies had engaged in our proposals and what they said. Our leadership, and they're under immediate blackout, so they can't say they can say very very little. The one thing they did say was that they engaged with our proposals in all work areas, and that is massive. That means. That those nine proposals that they refuse to even counter on, that they just stonewalled us on, they're engaging, they're negotiating with now. So active negotiations finally, finally, finally are happening. And and your your uh, audience should know that. And that's that's a really good thing. This could still take a while. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's a lot to work out. And negotiations could, could still break off. That's normal in negotiations. Sometimes you need to take a step back for a minute. That's all normal. Maybe it'll take a week. Maybe it'll take a month. But the fact that they're that they're negotiating on these points is so so massive. The the the, the very last thing I want to say is a lot of the things that we're fighting for, and I want to be very par- fair to Paramount here. A lot of the issues that we we are fighting for are on the TV side of things, which and I'm I'm 
a TV writer mm-hmm. primarily. One of the things we're fighting for is to guarantee that writers uh, are kept on through production and that we have uh, a minimum size for, for a writer's room. Um, and I want to be fair to Paramount here that, that I, 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 I'm a Star Trek writer. I, I write on Strange New Worlds. And in the time that I've been working there, we've had, a, we've had, we have a good writer's room. We have a good sized writer's room and writers are kept on through production. It's something our showrunners did have to fight for. Mm-hmm. They didn't just get it. They had to stand up and say, "Hey, we need this for their for the show." And it was a fight. Mm-hmm. It was a discussion. Well, fight. It was a discussion, <laughs> um, a back and forth discussion. And to Paramount's credit, they did agree to that. And in my opinion, that's that's why our show is successful. And there's so many other reasons too, just beyond the success of the show that that this is important. But I want to credit Paramount with that. And I want to, you know, I th- feel like I am. And writers like myself, we're the exception that proves the rule. We are so rare out here. When I tell other writers this, they can't believe it. Uh, they're shocked. They, they don't know what to, you know, what it's like. And so part of the reason why I am fighting so hard and why I'm out on the picket lines every day is so that this becomes the norm and it's not a fight from show to show and that showrunners don't have to fight for it to get it. Uh, but that this is the, just the way that it is in television. Bill, I, I wanted to thank you personally for being so vocal and accessible on social media. I've been following you, I think on all the social medias at this point, um, because I, I am not in the industry. I'm just a fan and a podcaster. So I don't know a lot I do know that you're a human being just like I am. And so I understand the need to hold down more than one job to just make a living. But I think that a lot of the public still has this myth, um, this idea in their head that you're just raking in the dough, uh, which is just (laughs) not a real thing. And so because you've been so vocal and so willing to share your work and what you're doing on social media, it's really helped me better understand what is happening and why these strikes are so important and and, and why you are on that line every single day, sweating your butt off, putting your own health at risk, to be fair. And so I want to ask you, why is this important to people who aren't in the industry? What What should they know about why this is so important to regular consumers of media? It's it's important because of what you're what you're going to be able to watch. First of all, um, you know you've already uh, consumers have already felt the the loss of writers in, in late night television, and studios and companies did have stuff banked up, but that is very that is almost done now uh, and and dried up, and studios and companies are going to have to find ways to rerun material that they already have like for instance they're you know paramount plus is is taking yellowstone and putting that on cbs the uh broadcast network and you're going to see a lot more things like that so you're 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 going to see less and less uh quality material come out um and uh there's going to be an interruption in all of your shows like our our show is going to have a big interruption because uh at least you know three three and a half months i mean there's already uh on on shows like high, uh uh shows with big big vfx there's always already a, a, a you know at least a year uh gap between seasons just uh because it takes that long to produce them and now that's going to be compounded by you know another five or six months on top of that mm-hmm. or however much longer this goes on for um so consumers are going to are, are are not going to be able to see as much content uh that that they that they like so it's important on on on, on that front but it's also this is beyond 
just entertainment, I believe. There's a spotlight on us because we make TV and movies. And uh, now, especially that SAG-AFTRA is also on strike and has joined us on the lines that there's, you know, much better looking actors <laughs> <laughs> striking uh, that, you know, and the, the world is really, really watching us. But this is this is about labor standing up to management. The uh, 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 You know, I know there's a lot of A-listers out there on the lines. Uh, like we had we had Ryan Johnson and Natasha Leone come to the TV city pit picket uh last uh last friday but predominantly the sag after lines and they're fighting for the same dignity and respect that 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 we're fighting for most of the rank and file members are are really hurting and barely able to you know uh uh, uh, make a living. Uh, 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 I think a really good example is a show like Bob Hart's Abshiola. The uh, I, I don't know if you there was a news story about that show about three or four months ago that that the most of the 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 the, the uh, main cast were reduced to recurring players, uh, and that 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 means that the main cast is going to have a really tough time making yeah. a, a, yeah. a living. <laughs> um, and that's, that's, those are the stars of the show. <laughs> um, and, and that's how actors are be are, you know, are being treated on, on, on shows right now. And so w- this is about labor saying enough, we deserve dignity. We deserve respect. We deserve a fair contract. You're not going to get work from us until you honor that. And we are, so we are all standing together in that. And it's the most powerful thing in the world to be on, on strike with, with, uh, SAG after uh, the, the WGA has, uh, I think 11, about 12,000 members and SAG after has 160,000 wow. members. Um, and these are, these are all people that are standing up to management and saying, you can't do this. You cannot. You you want to control uh, all the wealth that is that is created from our work uh, and not treat us fairly and not treat us with dignity? No, uh, we're we're not going to give you the work then, and you're not going to be able to make these these, these shows anymore. And management doesn't want to listen. <laughs> the landscape is different now because a lot of the studios and companies are come from the tech world. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't have we, we don't just have the the legacy studios like Disney and Paramount and uh, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Discovery now massive, a wholly different company than it once used to be. Uh, but that did, you know, was once a legacy company. But we have Amazon, we have Apple, we have Netflix, we have companies with a, you know, that really come from a completely different model uh, and mode of of working the the tech world that that does not typically union friendly or labor friendly. And we're 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 stepping up and saying no. And and I think that goes across to all labor that management controls the wealth that's created by the work from labor, but they need to treat labor fairly. And that's what this is about. And I think this is, you know, people should pay attention because uh, our success is something that should continue in, in other uh, sectors uh, beyond. And it already is. Hotel workers are standing up for their rights. Uh, we're standing by them. Very, very recently, UPS Teamsters, they, they got a great contract. They were ready to strike, which would have been the biggest strike in our country's history. Yeah. And uh, and they got massive gains. The UPS Teamsters got $3 billion uh, over five years. It's, it's it's an incredible, incredible contract. They got, and, and it's what they deserve, um, and it's because they stood up. So uh, this is another reason why the why people should pay attention. 
I wanted to ask something a little bit lighthearted. <laughs> uh, <just> <laughs> Sorry, yes. No, oh, man, no, I'm getting, hey, I'm getting I, heavy. <laughs> I appreciate your passion so much. One of the things that I have really enjoyed in your uh, platform, formerly known as Twitter feed thing, is uh, your signs, <laughs> all of your picket signs. So I was just curious where you get your inspiration from because they've been so creative and diverse. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I... Uh, this is uh, uh, all of us, you know, we're, we're, we, we need to put our creative energy somewhere. <laughs> this is the only thing we can write uh, <laughs> that's sanctioned. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we all, you know, we're on the lines and you, you get inspired by other, other picket signs that you see. And tr- I think I, I, I try to react to what is happening in the, you know, in the landscape at the, at this moment. So the sign I'm walking with, right now uh is about negotiating we people you know like the monday that that negotiations actually started happening i i i had a sign i still have it because we're still negotiating uh that says uh i love the smell of negotiate of, of actual negotiations in the morning my signs are you know usually i try to keep them topical <laughs> thank you for sharing them with us oh you're welcome and there, there's a lot of hilarious snarky <laughs> signs out there too uh and you know like i i saw uh early on in in the picket and i i don't personally advocate this but uh one picketer had 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 a uh, i was pushing a dog in a stroller and the dog had a picket sign that says i will pee on zaslov <laughs> all right so uh as we wrap things up here um with, with another very serious hard-hitting question to really put everything <laughs> into uh, into perspective um you're uh, you're a thai guy from what i've seen and from what i see right now and and i just i want to get some good tips like what's the best thai fare? are you looking for patterns you're looking for solids are there brands are there materials that you're really particularly dedicated to I, I go for the embroidered pattern ties. So this is oh, I got I've got some. Okay. I think they're 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 you know. Yeah. This is the, I think these are 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 bluefin tuna. Okay. I think nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bunch of tuna on on this particular you know uh, tie that I've got, and uh, I like I like a good embroidered pattern that you know I have I have a great enterprise tie that that you know uh, it's 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 a, it looks like a striped tie but it's kind of a hidden enterprise tie. You see the enterprise hidden among the stripes, so it's very cool. It's kind of a, a, a an embroidered warp contrail stripe. Oh. Uh, I, I, I like that one. Yeah, yeah I, I that, that 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 that's what I tend to go for. And and there, believe it or not, there is no shortage if you know where to look of of uh, of embroidered ties out in the world. And I've I've got a I've got a big collection. I was going to ask how many ties in the collection. I'm not sure how many, but I know I have eight pounds of them uh, <laughs> because my, my 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 son wanted to was asking like how how many times ta- you know. How heavy are, are your ties? So we put all of our my ties onto my son and weighed my son and <laughs> you know subtracted his weight and we figured out I got eight pounds of ties. Uh, that's great. That, that's good. So when you know tie recycling comes, you know that you've got yeah. a solid eight pounds of ties. <laughs> that, that is very important for our audience to know. As we wrap things up here, I do want to know like what is the in your mind? You know what do you think the end goal is here? Where do you want things to land with this? A bear contract. Yeah. Um, a, 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 even more than that, a transformative contract. One that, that, that really reflects the new landscape uh, that we all, all live in right now. Uh, the, the last time SAG and, and 
the W. It, this is when it was just SAG, not SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time uh, our two unions were on strike at the same time was 1960. And if I'm not mistaken that was the strike that led that led to residuals in the first place that was the strike that that you know led to a fully funded health plan health and pension fund uh, those things didn't exist before they're, now they're fundamental or should be fundamental um and uh it took both unions striking at the same time uh sag af sag at that time led by famous labor leader ronald reagan <laughs> what yeah it's true um uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. But it led that was that was real transform transformative change and and I want this this strike to end and I don't know I'm I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that transformative change is going to look like but I uh, I'll know it when I see it. Thank you so much for your time Bill and where can people follow you Heather mentioned your social media where uh, where do you want people to find you? You can find me on I, I don't know what to call it anymore. I still want to call it Twitter. Old I can't Twitter. bring it to call myself to call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like by, you know, uh, uh, what, you know, the, the, the scratched up icon on your phone now, that, that app, uh, uh, I'm, I'm at flying underscore lobster there. Um, or I'm, I, I've expanded. I'm on blue sky and, uh, and on, uh, uh, threads as uh, although I don't know quite know how to use those yet well yet uh, um, uh, uh, there I'm, I'm Bill Wears Ties I'm also on Instagram at Bill Wears Ties so no, wait, that, all the other ones you can sign me at Bill Wears okay, Ties okay wait Bill, Wear, <laughs> Bill Wears Ties that makes sense Flying Lobster that sounds like there's a story there I was married to uh, uh, one of the Derby dolls uh, in my my uh, uh, a decade a lifetime ago, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was I was uh, a mascot for the Derby dolls. I was I was a uh, uh, a lobster. I got in this giant puffy lobster outfit with these gigantic claws, nice. uh, puppy claws, uh, and I put a flying helmet on. Uh, so I you know, and that was when that was. Uh, around 2008, I think, when I first joined Twitter, uh, or 2000, like it was in the late two 2000s, and uh, so Flying Lobster stuck. But I, I haven't actually been the Flying Lobster, you know, since then. I, you could, <laughs> but you could. Nobody's stopping you. Yeah. I mean, That's true. you know, yeah. <laughs> all right, Bill, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and shedding some light on this for all of us. Of course, John, thank you. Heather, thank you. I'm sorry if I talked so much that you didn't get to ask as many questions as you wanted to, but thank you for letting me go. That's the best kind of guest to have is the one where you don't have to do a lot of prep. We'll get right back to the show after a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like writing an important report and forgetting to hit save. Ugh. Now, most yeah, you, you've been there. I've been there. Too many so times. So many things. Yeah, writing a report, drafting an email, like whatever it is, right? Now, most of the time, let's say 99% of the time, you'll be fine. No big deal, right? But what if one day your computer freezes or it crashes and all that work is gone? It's so helpless. That's such a helpless feeling. I can't stand it. I'm getting I, the, the hair on the back of my neck standing up just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, talk about helplessness. I mean, so every time you connect to, you know, an unencrypted network, you're in a cafe, you're in a hotel, you're in an airport. We've done that before. Take a look to the left of you. Take a look at the right of you. There might be a 12-year-old there that has the talent to hack your personal data because it doesn't take 
that much technical knowledge to hack someone, especially if you're unprotected, just needs a little bit of cheap hardware and a very talented young mind. Because why? Your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling your personal info or someone else's personal info that you know or you care about on the dark web. Oh, no good. So that is why Norman and I, and you too, should be using ExpressVPN for all of these very good reasons. First and foremost, it creates an encrypted tunnel. So think of it this way. There is a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Nobody else can get in there. Hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It is also incredibly secure. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years, a billion with a B, over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It is also easy to use. All you do is you open up the app, you hit a button, and then you see that you are protected. And it works on all your devices, a phone, a laptop, tablet, and so much more, so you can stay secure on the go. That's what's most important to me. I do travel a lot whenever I can. And believe me, using uh, janky hotel Wi-Fi mm-hmm. or sitting in an airport or a hotel lobby, and if I have to connect to my bank or something really sensitive like that, you better believe I've got ExpressVPN turned on. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash mission log. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash mission log. All right. At long last, we are so happy to have Michelle Hurd on our show. Welcome to the show, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. We are very pleased to have you here. Now, I I think the most important thing here is for our listeners to understand um, what all of this means to actors. Why is this strike important to actors? And and why is it important to you? Mm. Well, um, I'm a union baby. My parents were both civil rights activists. My father actually, with Maya Angelou, and Godfrey Cambridge, all of you youngins can Google him. Um, they made something called the Matinee for Freedoms, where they raised money for Dr. King's marches um, with people of color uh, performing. And so I, my entire life, I think I've always walked into like the living room and there's been like picket signs. And, um, and I've understood the importance of unions and laborers and workers and standing in solidarity with um, those of our brothers and sisters in the union. Um, This strike is kind of like a microcosm of what's happening in the world. I think everybody will probably be be able to relate to our struggle, the creative struggle, the WGA and the SAG-AFTRA. Our entire world is sort of the divide between the haves and have not have gotten so extreme right now that in order for everybody to make a working living, um, often households are have two, three, four jobs. Well, the same thing basically happens to actors. SAG-AFTRA is a proud union of 160,000 strong. In that 160,000, we have uh, singers and dancers and voiceover artists and stunt, uh, stunt artists, background artists, principal artists, um, broadcasters. We, it's a huge umbrella. And of those 160,000 strong, 98% of us are basically working for less than $12 an hour. 
It takes $26,000 a year to qualify for our health insurance. 87% of that 160,000 strong do not qualify for 80, for 26,000 a year for health insurance. 87% of us. So there's the 2% that I think everybody sort of, um, sort of bleeds into all the other concepts of what actors are. There's only the one to 2% that are the big stars. So in reality, when you watch your TV shows, any TV show, any TV show you can name, whether it's on linear television, meaning uh, network television, or if it's on the streaming platform, any movie television series that you have seen for the past couple decades, those actors, the ones that you say, oh, there's that actor on that show. You might look at me and go, there's that curly haired girl on that show. <laughs> you may not know my name, but you'll re recognize me. We are the working class actor. Like you could see me do a guest spot. Say on three of those shows, three different shows. Of, I'm not going to name any of them, yeah. but all the big shows that have been around forever, or even the new shows that are, are here and, and very hot and popular. Yeah. Now I've been forced when I take that job, do a guest spot, to take top of show. This is a verbiage that was never in the SAG after contracts. It was created by the AMPTP, and what it means is it's top of show that they will not move above top of show if you want to do this job, which is the base minimum that they will pay you in a SAG after job, the base minimum. So they're, they're, they're saying, if you want to be on this show, this is all you're going to get. I don't care the decades that you've been in this industry, the body of work that you've done, the seniority, it doesn't matter. This is what you get. Now I, as a working actress, I need that job. Right. So I'm going to take that job. Now I have done a guest spot on this one show. I've done two, you know, another one, another one. And so I've done three in this one year. I still, after doing a guest spot on big, huge TV shows, I still do not qualify for my health insurance, which means I still have not made 26000 in that quarter, in that year, to qualify. So this struggle that we're fighting is the struggle of the working class people, yeah. of all of us laborers. We're all struggling and hustling to put food on our plates, to pay our rent, to pay our electric bills, to take care of our children and our, our parents. And another thing that we're striking about that I really want to make sure that our listeners, our fabulous listeners, understand that AI technology, which is artificial intelligence, I think because actors and writers, the creatives, um, are sort of these shiny objects, it becomes very clear why we're talking about AI technology. Like, well, you know, they're going to use my likeliness in anything that they can do. In fact, um, uh, background artists oftentimes, um, uh, when they go to do a day of work, which is $150, maybe $187. Just remember that. That's all they're making. Just one check, right? $150. They have been scanned. Their body's been scanned, and an avatar is made of their person. The company that has made that avatar has the right to hold my avatar in perpetuity in their library, and they can use it whenever they want on whatever projects they want, and I will never get a penny. Now, this is what's happening in my industry, in the arts industry. But just think about that technology for any uh, for a layman, any person out there. They can make deep fake technology of your face, of your person, create an avatar, and they could put that in a movie. They could put it in a porn movie. They could um, try to blackmail you. You have a, a, an angry ex. They can do this, take your likeliness and put it anywhere they want. This is what's happening right now. It's not tomorrow, it's not a few years from now, it's right now. So this strike that we're, we're striking right now, this fight that we're fighting for right now, 
is about not only the artists and creatives, it's about all of us. It's safeguarding our rights to have the, the ability to make a living wage to doing our work that we love to do, telling the stories that we love to do, but being paid and, co- and compensated for our work. You know, Michelle, I'm glad you brought that up because I was, I was thinking about a movie that I watched recently, and there was literally a cameo appearance by the late Christopher Reeve in this movie. And I'm not going to name the movie. I'm just going to name the actor. Actually, several actors. Helen Slater was cameo in that movie. Nicolas Cage was cameo in that movie. And even decades after, Cesar Romero was a cameo in this movie. These were all computer-generated imagery of these characters, of their most significant characters, you know, of their careers. How, How is that your after position to be able to protect their likenesses or... Were these likenesses ever theirs to own to begin with? How does SAG-AFTRA protect the residuals that these families or, or estates are owned? That, this is literally the fight that we're fighting for. Uh, what's happened over the last decade, you know, I wish that we all had sort of crystal balls and we were able to sort of put in our contracts what we would have, what we've learned now is the technology, but we didn't know this technology. Actors um, from like for the past three decades, if not more, we have had in our contracts, commercial contracts, television contracts, movie contracts, there's a little clause in there that, that you say you sign off on allowing the production to use your likeness in, uh, in, and it is in perpetuity for the production. And for an actor, I'm thinking, oh, sure, you're going to use my picture in a poster. You're going to make a, a doll out of me. You're going to put a set, you know, make a picture of me and my husband, you know, movie husband on a picture on the mantle in the set. You know, it's for that kind of a thing. Well, now that little clause that's always been in our contract has been abused because now we have we have signed off our permission for them to utilize our likeliness. And they have abused that by saying, well, we're going to hold it now, not just for this project, but we're going to keep it in our library and we're going to use it in perpetuity. Those people who have passed, they're not getting any money from this. They're not there because it's, it's the same thing as, um, you know, uh, like the Writers Guild have been talking about AI technology. Say, you know, there's a body of work of Oliver Stone, right? It's out there. It's out there. It's public property, so to speak, because it's all out there. Now, they can feed all of his scripts into a AI technology, into a, a computer program. And they could say, Three people uh, sitting on a Zoom on a, a, a sunny day. Put that into this this technology. Spit it out in the tone of Oliver Stone, because his body of work has been out there and is public. They were able to put it into this computer, and the script can spew out a full script of that of the three of us on a Zoom in the tone of Oliver Stone. Name any director, uh, any writer. It, that's what they can do. So it's that same technology. That now, you know, that person, you know, I, like I said, the actor with, on that show, there's enough of my, my performances, just that actor on that show out there, that they can cobble together all those types of, you know, performances that I've done, put it into a program and say, uh, you know, um, a girl on a porch uh, singing a song in the tone of Michelle Hurd and a avatar of my person and my gesticulations, my tone, all that stuff will be spit out. This is the technology that um, they found that little loophole and are abusing. And, and here's the deal. 
we understand that when you have uh, movies um, that are big, I mean, I'm on shows that there's a lot of sci-fi and all that kind of stuff. I understand that Spider-Man is not actually thing, you know, swinging through the, the buildings, right? I know that's not Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. actually. So there, there's special effects, there's CGI, there's avatars for that. We understand that. And that's not the battle. Our battle is the fair compensation for that. And, you know, we will allow our avatars to be part of the project that we are working on on that time because we should be getting compensation for that. But once that project is done, that avatar is mine. And if you don't want to destroy that avatar, well, then you should pay me for that and pay me for the storage and the continued use of that. Not even till I die, till my last member of my family dies. Yeah. I, I want to go back to something that uh, you mentioned a moment ago, which uh, is very interesting to me because you're talking about the use of technology as it relates to other professions. And, and I that might be a place that a lot of people maybe listening to this aren't quite making the connection. They think, well, this is a writer problem. This is an actor problem. Why should I care about that? Other than that, their favorite shows are not being made right now. How, right. how do you talk about that? How do you make that case to people who maybe don't see the connection? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I do the best I can. Um, I, it's funny because I, I use, I, for some reason, perhaps you guys can come up with a better way. I always think of the ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. I always think of like, if you were in a relationship and you had a bad breakup, that ex could, you know, use your, your livelihood. Mm-hmm. You could, they could literally avatar me um, into some scandalous photos. They could attach me to um, extremist groups. Um, you know, whatever it is in your profession that you are vulnerable about, they could utilize that technology to abuse you in that standing. Um, you know, they could have you uh, make a picture of you or a video of you using some drugs or weapons or, you know, any kinds of things like that. This is, this is why I, I, I plead to the public to understand that this fight that we're fighting, and that's why I hate, I, I, I don't like to sound like I'm being hyperbolic when I say that this is a microcosm of what's happening in the world, but it really is. All these things are impacting everybody. You know, I, I, I've gone to some of the cons and um, people have been so wonderful and they come up and they talk to me. Teachers tell me about how they're being abused. You know, healthcare workers, um, uh, uh, custodians, um, uh, drivers. I mean, everybody has a story that they've told me about being abused as union workers, as laborers. And this kind of um, greed mm. and inhumanity uh, is so dangerous for our community, for uh, for this world, um, that I feel like if this is not the moment to stand up and speak out and make yourselves be known, there, you know, the next one uh, we may have no voices left. So speak up, stand up, and know that this is not just the actors and writers. And I, I think we're just shiny, like there's just sort of a shiny thing and we've got platforms and so people think, um, oh, you know, this is the actor's problem, the writer's problems, they're the ones that live on yachts and stuff. Nope, we live in one bedroom apartments, we have rental cars, we, uh, you know, we do double up on multiple jobs. You know, back in the day there was always that joke, or I don't even know if it's back in the day, where people would say, oh, you're an actor, what's your day job? <laughs> well, did you guys, this is, it's gotten so bad now, I think you might have read there was an article that came out about Orange is the New Black yeah. when that show was out. 
Now, everybody remembers when that dropped, it was huge. It was huge. People were dressing up as those characters for Halloween. They were quoting them. It was a huge thing. Every one of those women, the leads on that show, they didn't give up their day jobs because they were getting top of show, which means they were hustling every single time for the next paycheck. Wow. It's egregious. I, I guess the... One of the big concerns is, you know, with with the contract negotiations, are you talking to people, are you and, and other members of SAG-AFTRA talking to people in the technology industry and being advised by them to see how you can stem the tide of, you know, of how, you know, your assets are being abused in the digital realm? Because there yeah. has to be like a 10 to 15 to 20 year plan of, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to strike this deal now for digital protectionism, how are we going to be able to sustain that as technology? And it has moved radically in the last 10 years. I mean, with apps yeah. on your phone, being able to do filters and, you know, all the deep fakes, how do you, how do you look at protecting yourselves in the longevity of the next two or three decades? Yeah. Well, the wonderful thing is that we have access to a lot of incredibly intelligent people who know this technology. And, you know, they will tell us that they've been telling us this for a period of time. And, you know, sadly, we're now just waking up to it. So, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I believe that, you know, we have their voices, we have their um, data, you know, we're working hand in hand in them. And we are presenting, you know, a, a very comprehensive, uh, protective um, proposal for AI technology and all those sort of things. But I will say that I feel that what we put into the contracts right now will be the foundation. It's going to be what I think, what I would call the base minimum. We really need much more uh, protections. I would love, you know, I don't, I'm not a big one of asking government to get involved in every situation, but um, I think that, the, you know, I think Washington might have to step in at a certain point because this technology can become incredibly dangerous in the wrong hands. As I said, it, it will be affecting everybody. Uh, but for our contracts right now, for this 2023, um, we're going to have the baseline with the from the information that we've gotten from our technol- technical wizards, so to speak, and um, everything moving forward will be built upon that. And uh, you know, hopefully, we will have safeguards because you're absolutely right. What we know now, I, I, I can't imagine what's going to be like. Tomorrow, it's going to be, you know, what we can't even conceive of is going to be conceivable. So I wish that we had a a crystal ball and I wish that we could put in as many safeguards as we can for the projected concepts of what's going to happen. Unfortunately, right now, uh, we really have to base everything on tangible um, um, concepts. But, you know, as I said, it's the base minimum. You uh, you talked about conventions. And it's interesting to me that you personally took up this very specific cause, (laughs) right? Yes, I did. Uh, And I want to hear a little bit about that journey and you putting yourself in the middle and and really uh, uh, negotiating with SAG to allow this as as an option that actors had to be able to go to conventions, promote themselves, and let's face it, make some money as an actor in the process. Uh, Tell us about that journey, what what your goals were, what you got, and uh, if there's a next step there. Yeah, well, when we decided that the, you know, strike was going forward with our 98% approval from our 160,000 members um, to go on strike, um, they, there's sort of a standard list of things that have to be struck when you're going on strike. 
and one of the things that was in there was cons. And I remember sort of going, wait, wait, hold up, slow down. Let me just back <laughs> up a little bit. And one of the major reasons was I, you know, I, I wanted to explain, and myself and Sean Astin and Samantha Mathis, you know, three old pros that have been around, we were all like, wait, 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 hold. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, from the show that I'm on, um, uh, that's, that's in space, um, you know, it's been around for decades. And there are some actors that are on those series that have been on from decades and decades that that is their only source of income is to come to a con. They're mature actors and they don't get as many opportunities um, to hustle right. and get other gigs. This is their only income. We are not here to chastise the actors. We're not even here to chastise the fans. We're here to chastise the AMPTP who's trying to punish us. So. I, I thought, how do we make this clearer? How can we amplify that? How can we utilize the convention to our benefit? Well, let's remind everybody that it's the actors telling those stories on those fabulous shows that make you come out to the convention. It's those actors that bring to life the characters that have touched and affected all of us. It's the actors with the writers who tell the stories that bring us all together because art is the the magical language that that uh, crosses over the pond crosses over every different religion every different whatever it really brings us together it keeps us in this the circle of humanity if you ask me because we see each other we relate to each other we share an experience so i really wanted us to be able to amplify the artists the writers the storytellers I mean, there's been storytelling since the beginning of time. You know, you walk into um, a, a big old um, ancient cave and there's a, a, you know, a finger painting of an elephant and three children or something, you know, like it's this is how we all connect to each other. So we can't we don't want to take that away. And I have to say for and I'm sure any of the um, you know Czechy fans that I've interacted at some of these cons will tell you it's been an amazing experience. We've had a more personable experience. We've been more vulnerable with them. They've shared their stories with us. The questions that they've asked us on panels and um, even at the just at the table has been broader and more interesting and more um, revealing. So it's, this has been an amazing, um, positive experience to celebrate the artists, to celebrate the, the storytelling, to celebrate what really connects us. And what really connects us isn't a streaming platform. It's the stories, the human stories, the connection that we have from each other. So that was one of the biggest things, the most important things that I really wanted to make sure that we had was the ability to stay connected to our fans, stay connected to being proud of the body of work that we did. There are actors who, you know, I mean, I, I geeked out at the last um, fan expo. I, I, I ran into, you know, Barry Boskowitz and and Susan Sarandon, and you know, from a sh movie that we all know from back in the day, that was my teenage life. You know, I was like, Midnight, we know that show, you know, the, the floor show. And I mean, that's important, important to bring those people together. So, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that SAG AFTRA was able to, in the negotiating committee, that we were able to carve this out and make sure that our artists were still allowed to, um, to, to, pay their bills by getting this supplemental uh, income because for some actors, these cons are the only incomes they make in a year. 
with uh, with just the the pool of talent, you know, that's recognized worldwide, you know, in Hollywood. Uh, I, I was just um just to backtrack for a second, I was watching a documentary about uh, a famous couple in Hollywood, and their entire uh, courtroom drama was you know broadcast streaming, and it was basically in the court of public opinion, you know, who was right and who was wrong. And I'm wondering if that is where some of the success can be held with what's happening with your strike in the court of public opinion, because there are maybe actors that are of a certain level that may be able to use their influence on social media, or maybe there are just stories that regular actors, day-to-day actors, you know, just making their minimum wage and living wage can they tell their stories to the point where they can gain public sympathy across social media? I think social media is probably your strongest platform right now. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that when, in fact, when anybody asks uh, what they can do uh, other than um, donate to the Sagastra foundation.org, which is an emergency assistance fund for our artists who are struggling. And literally this fund, um, you know, you get vetted, through a, a process, but this fund could literally help people pay their bills, pay their rent, put food on the, the plate, help them with uh, everything. So that's an incredibly important thing, and that's what I always say. But it's really the amplification of stories, the information being out there so that people understand what's going on. And, you know, we've had, what I loved was that, you know, Dwayne Johnson, I'm sure if people saw, he donated a million dollars. He asked, what can I do? He literally contacted us. What can I do to help? And we were like, you know, you could pick it, you could donate. He, and he's picketed, I'm sure, but he's donated a million dollars. And then he told two friends and so on. And I think there was 12 huge, you know, big A-list celebrities are one to 2% of that 160,000, those one to 2%, they've all donated a million dollars. So that's an incredibly powerful um, uh, um, movement that they've created. Their voices, we've had them come out on, on uh, the pickets, on the rallies in Times Square. We just had a, one a couple of weeks ago where we had, um, you know, Jessica Chastain, um, Brandon Frazier, uh, Christian Slater, Stephen Lang, uh, Bradley Cooper. I mean, we had, you know, we had uh, tons of, of big celebs and we do the same here in L.A. Um, so when they come out and they speak, it's incredibly powerful because they have a lot of uh, listeners. Um, and if they amplify the story and amplify the reasons why we are um, are picketing and striking, I think that it makes a huge impact. You know, you would think that maybe a big star could talk to a studio, right? And just say, dudes, you know, do the right thing. It would be awesome if that could happen. But one of the things that's sort of um, jarring that's happened over the past, past, I'd say, 15 years is Back in the day, our studios were helmed by creatives, people who just love movies and love making TV shows and love the art of, of, of storytelling. Well, now, as you've seen, like, you know, Paramount Plus and CBS are one. Um, Disney and ABC are one. Uh, NBC and Universal are one. And then some of the studios have bought each other up and they're sort of like becoming these huge conglomerates. Well, who else is getting involved is Wall Street. So Wall Street has now found, like they found Netflix was a really cool investment. Let's throw some money there. We can make some money back. So now, instead of dealing with creatives, we are dealing with corporation boards. Like we're like a part of their portfolio. So the human um, empathetic point of view in negotiations is no longer there. It's been replaced with a spreadsheet of how to trim the fat. And for some crazy reason, I think these people think that the fat are actors and writers. 
and we need to change that dialogue ASAP because we're not the fat. We are the engine. The car doesn't run without us. We are the engine. So I, I think the, you know, I, I would love to say getting a couple of big stars to come in and tell the studios to um, get back to work would work. Unfortunately, the people who would hear that are not there anymore. It's literally a board of directors and we have to plead with them um, where it hurts. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.